You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Anookshook Professional Dog Food. And welcome to episode 83, part two of the conversation with Ryan Mulcahy from Born to Run Kennels. And this podcast is also presented to you by OnX Hunt, the most comprehensive public and private land ownership data mapping tool in the world. Many tools and layers like crop types, tree species, waypoints, and so much more. Uh, the Onyx Elite membership is going to give you a ton of access to um, a whole bunch of benefits, uh, discounts on awesome gear. Um, if you're not using Onyx Hunt already, I highly encourage you get over to onyxhunt.com and sign up today. And be sure to check out Anookshook Professional Dog Food, the only sporting dog, high-performance dog food I'm feeding my string of dogs. have been using this for several years, and Anookshook has delivered and lived up to and surpassed all the hype you've been hearing about online, through friends, kennels, breeders, all that. And it has just been a high-quality premium food. Uh, I've been able to cut back several cups of food for my dogs, still keeping weight on them, during season, during trialing, whatever it might be, these dogs are in best shape they've been in personally in a long, long time. And thanks to Anookshook Professional Dog Food, they have four incredible formulas. Check them out at anookshookpro.com. And last but not least, Final Rise Gear. I am so pumped and proud to be representing the Final Rise brand. They have been producing year after year quality premium upland gear that has made for the hunter, the bird hunter who is putting on miles after miles, season after season, and wants gear to hold up to the elements of how you are hunting. You gotta look no further than finalrise.com. Check out the Summit Vest, the Summit XT Vest, which is brand new, the Sidekick Vest, as well as the Legacy. So many vest options, which are totally customizable. Um, I'm pretty darn confident you're gonna find something that works for you and your setup uh, so check them out at finalrise.com. Yo, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Upland Rookie Podcast. This is part two of the conversation with Ryan Mulcahy from Born to Run Kennels. Super pumped to uh, have you guys finish this uh, episode up with me. Um, we did have we did have a couple a uh, couple difficulties towards the end here with some recording quality stuff. Um, we pieced it together though. We had uh, someone's internet go out. <laughs> I'm not going to name names, Ryan. Um, we had a couple, couple different uh, interruptions. We both had to, to pee again, so we had to take a pause there. So a couple, couple different things you'll notice maybe towards the very end of the show. But again, we pulled it together. We persevered, and we finished the episode. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy this one. Um, man, I mean, I've just been really appreciative of Ryan um, and just his his knowledge and his experiences, uh, kind of really breaking them down and sharing them with me. I love um, I love getting other perspectives and thoughts. And Ryan's always pushing me, um, pushing me with things and how I think about uh, dogs and intelligence and breeding and um, really, you know, what you're looking for in a bird dog to 
uh, reproduce a breeding or you know what you're looking for um, to, to reproduce in a, in a, a dog. Um, so I've appreciated him pushing me over the last couple of years and just in my thinking. And so really appreciate it. Um, we're going to go over a couple things here and we'll get right into the rest of the episode. Um, don't forget, we have a giveaway happening over at patreon.com. So make sure you're signed up as a Patreon supporter and you'll be entered into the giveaway from Gunner Kennels, uh, giving away a brand new. I shouldn't say brand new. It's been out for over a year now. Um, but one of their Gunner Fan Kit 2.0. Um, I'm going to give one of those away to uh, a listener of the show. Uh, just make sure you are signed up on Patreon as a supporter of this show. And I'll be drawing a winner here uh, in the next several weeks. Um, great fan kit. Durable. It's going to last. Got an incredible, uh, incredibly long battery life, which is really nice. And you can pretty much mount it to any kennel you have. So that's another perk. Um, of course, if you have a gunner kennel, that is going to be even better. But uh, gunner fan kit 2.0, going to give one of those away as well as an Upland rookie hat to uh, one of the Patreon supporters. So go get signed up if you're not already. Um, I'm also going to do, I have not done one of these in forever. Like, I can't remember the last time I read a listener review. Cannot remember. So we're going to, um, scroll through here and I'm going to pick one it's back in November. Jeez. That was a while ago. Okay. We're going to read this one. Uh, it's titled what I was looking for from JB Nielsen, maybe Nelson. Oh, nine back November 2022. Uh, it says, not a new bird hunter, but just got my first bird dog. This will be her first year and I've been nervous. This podcast has really helped motivate me to get over my hesitation to travel to get on some birds. Awesome content. I live in North Texas and driving is really the only way to get into wild birds. Thanks for putting this podcast together. It was the exact thing I was looking for. Well, thank you very, very much uh, for putting that review out there, uh, taking time to kind of let me know what you know what this podcast has meant to you, what it has helped um, helped you accomplish, um, and so other reviews like this, guys. This is the stuff that. Um, Again, helps me keep a pulse on how the show is doing. Um, how is it connecting with you? Whether, uh, like this this listener here, uh, they're not new to bird hunting. They picked up their first bird dog recently. Um, that's what I love. I love that this show has been able to connect with those who are brand new to the sport, but also those who have been doing it a while. Um, I talk with listeners all the time who are, I would consider just pros or veterans um, uh, of upland hunting. They've been doing it forever, um, have developed some amazing dogs, and they're listening to the show and they're taking something away from it. Um, maybe it inspired them um, to try something new, to um, explore a new area, to get back into hunting, whatever it might be. Um, and then, of course, the new hunters out there, the new people who are um, just getting into the sport, picking up their first dogs. Um, so that's that's kind of the heartbeat of why I love doing this show, um, is connecting with listeners from such a broad range of experiences, backgrounds. Um, so if you guys have not already left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate Just take less than a minute, head over there, uh, leave a review and uh, uh, that little star system that they have on Apple. Um, you can also do it on Spotify. I think they just have a star system over there. Would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, again, thank you for writing that review. I don't know what your actual name is. Nielsen's last name, maybe? 
Yeah, that's what it's titled. So um, send me your address, though. I'll shoot you off a sticker if that was you who wrote the review. And then I'll try to do some more of these reviews um, a little more often. Maybe send out a sticker to you guys as well. So would greatly appreciate that. Um, other than that, guys, I don't have any other announcements. we got a couple great guests lined up for the spring here. I'm excited to share those episodes with you as well. Uh, but we're going to jump back into the part two uh, of the Ryan Mulcahy series. Um, hope you guys enjoy this one. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, good. Um, I think it's a podcast first right there. A little potty break. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I don't feel as embarrassed by this after listening to uh, Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. Because his guests all the time are like, hey, can I go to the bathroom? Okay. And they just, they keep it rolling. And uh, and it's pretty funny. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a bathroom. And you hear the toilet flush. Awesome. You know, you, you hear it going on. And that's, it's hilarious. So I'm like, eh, whatever, That's awesome. Whatever. Uh, well, might as well. Yeah. And I, I remember um, it's, I've done a couple and it's always like, you get part way in and I've always got to go. So it's just yeah. how it is. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Keeps yeah. it real, man. Keeps it real. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Can you, uh, this is something you and I have chatted about yeah. quite a bit over the um, last couple of years that we've known each other and been, mm-hmm. you know, whatever talking on, on Instagram. Yeah. Um, uh, wild birds. Yeah. Like, like developing a dog on wild birds. Yeah. Um, Cause I know that's a, that's been a big part when you were up in um, Idaho yeah. and, and, you know, Montana and all that, yeah. you know, really doing some of your training actually on wild birds versus pen rays and planted birds. Can you talk a little bit about what, you know, what the benefit that you've seen from running dogs on wild birds and, and just yeah. unpack that a little more? Yeah. So I have not worked a dog on a pen raised bird and I'm not talking about a pigeon, but I'm talking about pen raised quail or chucker. I don't think I've worked a dog on those birds since 2014. Um, Jesus. So, so, and even then I had, um, I had, uh, birds that I would do hanging baskets, um, which I learned from George and basically I would do a whole hanging basket thing. And then, you know, basically you hoisted up 20 some feet in the tree and then you've already let out some birds and you, you kind of, you just let them kind of congregate in that area. And then you bring a dog through on your course and you can make a controlled situation. So what I used to do is I would, instead of using pigeons back then, I would do hanging basket quail. And then I would uh, work those birds. And then when I was done working those birds, I would drop the baskets and the birds would go up their funnel back into the basket. And, uh, okay. and they had feed and water in there. And then after that, um, I would drive two miles down the road and I'd work those dogs on uh, grouse and woodcock. Hmm. So the whole idea was to uh, gain control and then transition it. Um, okay. And I would do it in the same day. So like I might do 20 minutes, 30 minutes of at most of controlled work. And then I would do 30 minutes to an hour of wild birds. And, um, and, and c- controlled, controlled work, unpack that a little more. Controlled work meaning you're trying to recreate well, a wild so, bird situation? So, well, the controlled work is you're trying to help a dog around birds uh, to be steady to wing okay. shot and kill. Okay. So I may not be killing them, but I'm getting them broke or broke out. Um, okay. And so I now I train dogs a lot differently. Um, so 
one of the big things that Bill uh, Gibbons used to talk about was wild bird action. So when you're in that situation to create wild bird action, well, a wild bird doesn't sit in front of a dog and you don't just stand there saying that dog, whoa, and this and that. So that's why a lot of the field trials bother me because it's just too much control. It's too much man-made crap. Um, And I'm going to say it that way because you're too involved with the dog and I hate that. Um, I want to see what the natural quality, natural qualities of the animal are. Um, and so what he would speak about is wild bird action. So you think about wild bird action. Well, that means when the dog is pointed, a young dog is pointed and say that, um, it's pointing the Penrace quail. And then all of a sudden that dog decides to grab, you know, break and go in on that bird. Well, you're not going to give the dog a thrashing. You're not going to give him a correction. But that bird needs to get the heck out of there, right? Hmm. Well, it doesn't because it's a stupid quail and it's sitting (laughs) on the ground. So now that dog grabs that quail. Well, now he can form a habit and now you've got to be more involved, which creates that flagging Hmm. and ticking and it creates so many other issues because now you've Hmm. got to get involved. These are not a lab. These are a bird dog. You know, this is a natural, they're supposed to be a natural animal. Sure. But when you create that situation, you create problems. So Hmm. what I do is I go from now I can come into that later, but what I do is I go into from a pigeon perspective first and, um, you're essentially teaching them. You can't catch them. All right. So that's the whole Hmm. layman's term. You can't catch this bird, but it's wild bird action. So the whole idea is I can control the action of that pigeon and get the bird out of the situation and it teaches that dog sure. you're not catching them on the ground so you never form that that poor habit now if you use sure. launchers and you use them all the time and you're constantly using pigeons you can create a lot of other bad habits and you can also create dogs that don't hunt so mm. if i'm working well, is, multiple yeah. days a week for a whole year outside the hunting season and i've got this five-year-old pointer that i'm well i don't know why anybody that would need to have a five-year-old dog on pigeons in a launcher at that point Mm. to me it doesn't matter at that point they if they're Mm. five years old you've probably put enough miles on them hunting wise that they would be broke out or be steady enough Um, you're essentially going back because the equation of a pigeon is just a concept it's just teaching a Mm. concept you know you point them i flush them i kill them you stand there that's it sure um or birds in the air mean plant your feet, stop the flush, right? Real easy. Sure. Um, cause they're not, cause they're not hunting the pigeon, obviously. Right. 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 And, so, and it's, a, so, it's just, yeah, you're, you're creating like a sterile environment. To it's like a test. Well, it's, like it's a, not even just a te- You're just teaching a concept. So, um, sure. you, you have a sterile environment so that there's nothing else in the way of it. And then all you're doing is teaching a concept to them. Um, when that bird is in the air, plant your feet. That's it. That's what mean you know, stop the flush means. So, um, yeah. So basically when I went to the pigeon side and then I had more wild birds out West, I just haven't gone back to a pen race at all. Okay. Um, now the new location, the, the owner has a place, I think he's got 1900 acres. That's all pen raised birds. Um, and he's got a string of his own dogs, about five of them that will be primed up for that style of hunting. But okay. what I like, if I have a dog that I'm grooming for that scenario, I'm going to start with, um, 
you know, as a youngster, I'm going to start with other scenarios. I'm going to work every type of bird and then I'm going to steady them up when they can handle more pressure. But the problem that we have is if you put too much pressure on them too early, then you start having a lot of issues around birds, around game. Sure. And you want to keep that natural intensity as much as possible. So, Mm. so so running, running when you run a dog on wild birds for, for training purposes, do you ever find yourself wishing you had a more controlled environment to train that dog? No, no. And the reason being, um, the grounds that I trained on, um, and the style that I did at different times of the year created really good opportunities. So I'll, I'll explain this. So being in Idaho, the biggest lava rock and and the footing and everything beats up a dog's feet. Okay. We know that, um, slopes beat up, uh, shoulders and hips, um, and different joints. But when they're a young dog doing exposure with them, you don't have tall grass. You don't have heavy cover. You might have sagebrush, but you don't have all these other elements. So the variables are really low. And especially Mm. whether people like this or not, I train in the spring. Um, I am not chasing birds. I have heard horror stories, and I I think it's despicable with some of these guys. And I'm not Mm. talking about the handlers, because a lot of the handlers understand what's going on out there. But I've heard about, you know, hunters going out with their dogs and their dogs running down and catching uh, blue grouse and doing stupid things like that. I hate that. And it gives it a bad name. I do not chase coveys. Even in hunting season, I don't chase them. Mm -hmm. I don't chase paired birds. When you put them to flight, you move on. Hmm. So what that allows, though, is all your grass is laid down because you came out of the winter. It's like a golf course. There, and sure. so, and then you've got water, which dogs can get in, they can wallow in, they can learn to cool themselves off. They can keep themselves mm. hydrated. Their scenting ability is better. So mm. they can, they can get these birds pointed and get good work in on them. And the, and it might be a pair of birds. Well, a lot of those birds aren't nesting until either late April or early May. So, and you, you know, when the scenting goes off, right? So we know when to get the heck out of there. And I don't, hmm. I've never caught, don't push it. Yeah. I, I, and then this is the thing and doing it in eight years, I've never ever caught or, or pointed any birds on a nest. Hmm. So if it will, it will, you run young dogs on, yeah. on yeah. birds too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, because cause again, the birds are wild. I mean, they're wild birds, so they're going to get the heck out of dodge. Right. Right. But, um, when I was training on those grounds, I knew where, um, in the fall and winter, I knew where almost every cubby was and your huns are usually very territorial. They're back in the same area almost every year. Um, and then your chucker were a little bit more transient in certain regards, but you knew where they typically were. Um, blue, blue grouse, I knew where they would come down in, in the spring and that was good for young dogs to learn those birds. Um, and then, uh, occasionally you'd have sage grouse in those areas. Um, but, um, and then we used to have more Valley quail until about 2016 when 17, when that really bad snow year. And then those grounds, okay. the Valley quail have not come back into, uh, we used to have like 50 bird cubbies. And it, it wow. was just like a valley quail. Yeah, yeah. And oh my gosh. the birds have not come back into that area since the snow. So, okay. um, 
not at the same amount that they were. Um, and then okay. this year, Idaho got tremendous amount of snow. So I'm hoping that they have a really good year um, without any drought because the last five years have basically been drought in the spring. Um, yeah. It's been really interesting to watch. But I would work dogs consistently, and I might have a broke dog, and I might have a dog I'm breaking out, or I might have a broke dog and a flock of puppies. Hmm. And I'll have that broke dog on the ground, and um, and he'll and I'll bring puppies in behind him. And so... Hmm. Uh, that's why I say Rue did a lot of work for me. I mean, it was consistent. You didn't help in those younger dogs too? Yeah. it would In an hour workout, he might have uh, eight, eight to ten pairs of birds pointed in an hour. Well, those puppies got that exposure. They got in those situations. Um, but you know, it was pretty funny because after a while, you would notice him start getting irritated that they were knocking his birds. And, um, oh, he would, he would leave the situation. Uh, well, he wouldn't leave the birds, <laughs> but he would, when you sent him forward after, um, the puppies flush, uh, flush the birds and, and I shot a blank pistol and he'd still be standing there. Those puppies would be running around when I'd send him after that, his next cast might be a half mile. And you knew it. And you <laughs> knew it. Like, you knew he was frustrated. I'm done. Yeah, he's like, I, yeah. I got to get away from these pups. And, then, and you might <laughs> put a little distance. Yeah, and then you might have to run him uh, by himself for a workout or or whatnot. Okay. But um, yeah, he uh, he did a lot of work for me on those pups. And uh, mm. and honestly, actually, you know, here's a kind of a plug in. But uh, the Nuckshuck has really helped that dog because he still looks really good. He broke a toe this year awesome. um, in Texas, but other than that, I mean, physically he looks really good. And, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's, he's how old now? He's 11. 11. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's awesome. You know, good old Nook Shook. I know you've been running that for, for a while Yeah. with yeah. your, with your dogs now. I think, I think we're uh, over three years now. Um, okay. But yeah, it's, it's been wonderful. So, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, one of the things, kind of maybe part of the the pen raised bird conversation a little bit. Again, something you and I have chatted a little bit about. Yeah. Um, kind of the field trials uh, side of things as well. Yeah. And you mentioned that a little bit earlier. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of it's really just showing your dog. Mm-hmm. Um, share some of your thoughts around field trials, your like of it, your dislike of it. Um, some of your thoughts around that. Well, I love field trials. I, I do. I, I really love field trials. Um, I love wild bird field trials because I, I like wild birds. Um, but you know, um, some of the dogs I got to watch like Aaron's war Creek, um, who was national champion, um, uh, and, uh, sugar, no war paint. Um, I mean, he was a national, I don't think he was a national champion, but he was, um, I think he was like 16 times. I think he's in the hall of fame now. I'm not sure if he got elected or not, but I know he was, they were trying to get him in, but those two dogs, like watching them and I'm just using those names, but they were, you know, great, sure. great river ice was still alive at that time. And he was still winning and, you know, watching those dogs, they're all pen rate, like they're single course dogs. That's, or well, they were single course dogs up in the Northeast. They were tremendous bird dogs. They really were, but they also had a different style than um a west coast dog because what happens when you when you run those single courses you're not it's a different type of judgment they're gonna a lot of these dogs are running the same lines you you know it's a little more sterile of an environment 
and your birds, you know, when you move a bird, you know, someone at the back end of the gallery comes by and they throw, you know, they take a Nolan Ryan, you know, chuck down a, with a bird at the ground, right? <laughs> they just they fire them right down, right? And they make that bird kind of stand around in that area. Well, that's fun, but that's a demonstration. Now, those dogs, and I'm not taking anything away from those dogs because there's a lot of other things that they're doing that are really at such a high standard that you may not see in wild bird trials. But the wild bird trial is you have a little bit less control from your birds, right? Hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and it could be wider country. There could be other things going on. Um, there, and this is, don't ever take it as this putting a, one of those dogs down cause they are really, really special animals. Um, but there are certain dogs that are bred that are extremely, extremely good in that type of scenario that may struggle if they were on wild birds all the time out West mm. and vice versa. You take a West Coast. I was dog. just going to ask. Do you, yeah. do you feel that's yeah? Do you feel it's both ways? Oh, absolutely. You know, you if you took a dog and you said, you know, um, this dog has been winning all over the West and all these wild bird trials. Well, they may not do as well in um, in a single course field trial. Um, it, it's a different venue. Now that being said, um, if you would have put George Tracy out West. Um, he would have kicked the shit out of just about anyone. I'm, I'm sorry to get in. He, he's, he's that good. He's that adaptable. He's, I mean, and he would have gotten things accomplished. There's mm. just, there's just no other way. I mean, uh, I think Harold Ray was running dogs in the grouse woods and he was also running them in all age trials back in the day okay. you know, or most. Well, I think most of them were shooting dogs, but you know, it, a lot of those dogs would have transitioned to all age. We have this concept now because of it being so extreme that an all age dog just runs off on you. Well, hmm. the all age dogs that used to win back in the day, like Redwater Rex, um, they were, or even Silver Bullet, they would be considered a big running shooting dog now, or just a good running shooting dog. A lot of those shooting dogs right now that are running, like uh, War Paint or War Creek or any of those dogs, if, if you would have taken them from um, Georgia string and say that, um, you know, back when he was alive, if George used to say this, if Robin Gates would have taken them, they'd be all age dogs two weeks later. Huh. So it just, th this concept that we have is really skewed because people have never really seen an all age dog. And, and, the, and, the, and a lot of them have never even seen a real shooting dog. A real shooting dog is really, really fun to watch, and they're really refined. Um, that's what sure. the shooting dog was. And I, I want to say the shooting dog came in either in like 68 or 72. I can't remember what year they started the shooting dog. But it, originally, everything was all age. So this whole... No, that all age was a standard yeah, kind of? That was the, yeah. the original? Yeah, and then they started a shooting dog classification to show more refinement. And... Mm. Um, and so you look at that and things have changed, but in the grand scheme of things, they haven't changed that much. Um, hmm. the, the, the difference is we don't have the same amount of wild birds that we once did on the East coast. Um, hmm. and so, yeah, that's kind of the change of that field trial. So, and, yeah. and a lot of these guys are breeding to win those trials. Sure. So the, the characteristics that win them. So, and cause there's, there's all age stuff now that's 
both planted birds and oh, yeah. wild birds, yeah, right? For all, yeah, okay. So, yeah. Just, but are you saying that those those two types of in today's age right now, the all age wild bird stuff mm-hmm. versus the shooting dog or all age planted birds? Are you saying those are still two very different types of dogs? Well, there. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, Ames, there's a lot of people that are not running dogs at Ames anymore that are qualified. And mm. because Ames plantation does not, it does not really, the venue doesn't really show, um, it, it doesn't typically show a, a, a good way of a, um, a wild bird dog. Um, okay. And it shows a certain type of dog that has had uh, a lot of training and a lot of refinement. And a lot of guys that come out West and they come to watch the, the national, um, you know, they, they come and they see the grounds and the grounds are a lot different than obviously out West. But they said, sure. they said the dog that wins that is essentially a big run and shooting dog at most. I said, absolutely. Because hmm. the grounds dictate okay. that a real all age dog that's grabbing in there. It, it just, it's really hard. Um, of a venue to get them around. But there is, I want to say there was a couple of years ago, there were 40 some dogs that were qualified for Ames. And I want to say that like, I can't remember if it was 18 or if it was 28, but there was only 18 or 28 dogs that ran at the national championship that year. Everybody okay. started pulling their dogs because the venue really didn't show their animals well. And they've been wanting, oh, they, okay. and, and so you know, everybody talks about this pre-release program until they start seeing bird crates. Right. And now they're like, oh, okay, okay. You know, this is a, it just, M- my dog's not going to thrive in that. Well, it's hard to kind of scenario. It's hard to. And then okay. when you, when, um, like this year, the two, uh, amateur dogs that were qualified were drawn during some of the worst weather. Well, now the mm. amateur is paying, I want to say it's, it's either 550 or $650 to enter that dog make all the commitment of getting that dog south beforehand, possibly with another trainer. So they, you know, there's thousands of dollars in, in the hole and then they go to sure. run them and they might only get to run them for an hour because it's not even worth trying to go three hours. They're not finding birds. Hmm. They've got terrible, you know, it's just, it's a really hard venue at this point in time. It's really hard without any wild birds to say, Hey, look, look we're, we're going to hmm. really get after it. I th- and this sure. is my opinion. I think that if there was a way for them to have wild birds, it would change the pers- the mental perspective of the handler. Hmm. I really think it would because most of, most of these dogs are are typical uh, wild bird. I would wild bird dogs. A lot of them are yes going to going to this aims that are you're saying there's more release birds. Yes, yes, yep. It's okay. it's all release okay. birds. It's aims has no okay. wild birds. It is all release birds. Uh, I don't think okay. they've had wild birds since like 2004. Okay. So, so here's a question. Here's yeah. a question for you. I'm curious on your, your thought. Mm-hmm. So in your mind, then what is the difference? What are the characteristics of a, of a badass wild bird dog versus, I guess, first off of that, what's your definition of a, of a, 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 a great a, wild bird dog? A, a quality wild bird dog. Yeah. Well, um, first thing is, um, one that stays hooked up to the handler. So mental composure to the handler. Um, I don't care about, you know, what type of range they have. If they're 50 yards or um, 1,000 yards, they still need to keep the handler in mind. Um, One that naturally, naturally knocks the front. 
So they constantly find themselves in front of you um, and hang out there. Um, and then the one thing that people don't talk about much anymore, but natural character around birds. So um, we go through all these breaking processes and everybody's got their own. And it's like, I'll tell you what, some of these SOBs um, that I've been around, like these dogs, they're just waiting to knock birds. And then I've got dogs that constantly, um, if you get on them, you might make them too cautious around birds. So um, there's a, there's a really, there's a fine line and that's genetics, but there's a fine line between the two of them. Um, and so that character around birds, um, I never really understood it until one of my mentors, uh, Franklin Asa really talked about it. And then I bought a pup from him and I thought, Oh my goodness, you know, it was just, it was night and day difference from what I had been accustomed to. And then I decided, or I started training differently because now my whole string is out of that line. And even the dogs that I'm breeding now have similar characteristics to that. So it changed the perspective Mm -hmm. of like, of of the way I looked at it. I know, I no longer want to be, you know, having to break a dog and re-break them and re and remind them and remind them and remind them at five, six, seven years old. I'm tired of that. Um, when we start getting things kind of steadied up, um, or just a dog that's naturally very steady, then I don't have to do much on taking their chase. They just want, sure. and then they, those are the types of dogs that when you put them in these pulley systems and start, you know, heaving them around and hauling them, you know, in these other breaking scenarios, they don't do well. And then people are like, oh, that dog's garbage. Hmm. Well, that dog didn't need that. Hmm. He wanted to stay planted around birds or she wanted to stay planted around birds and they wanted to keep birds on the ground because that is what their natural characteristics were. And I was just going to say kind of all those, those qualities you mentioned, I think the emphasis is from your, correct me if I'm wrong, is naturally mm-hmm. right. Like doing those things um, kind of yeah. out of their breeding and not, cause you can train a dog to yeah. stay in front. You can train a dog to right, kind of stay in check with you, yeah. put them in scenarios. Right. Yeah. But I think your emphasis of what you're saying is really, I want dogs that do that naturally. And is that, that, that question I wrote down or the, the comment you made about man-made intelligence yeah. versus true intelligence yeah. Is yeah, that, that, this is kind of in that same conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you think about a lab, a lab is a man-made dog. That That's what the, they, they have been made to do everything for a human that they like everything revolves around you hmm. a pointer or, and I would, you know, it's hard. I'll just say a pointer. Okay. I'm not knocking any other breed, but the pointer was developed to, to be a certain type of dog with you in mind. All right. Now we've got a lot of runoffs and that, that is absolutely a stereotype. There's no doubt about it because everybody gets in this whole scenario of breed hot to hot to hot, right? And, you know, breed an amped up dog to another amped up dog to another amped up dog. Well, then they just, they can run off the edge of the earth. Right. And they're not <laughs> hunting. They're just running. And you're like, okay, now I got to get him under control. Well, now you might have to do something catastrophic to get him under control. Um, I would, I've, I've said this to a lot of people cause they say, well, you can't push a rope. You can't make that dog run. They, most of those people would ruin the dogs that I produce. And I'm going to, and the reason being is when a lot of these dogs that I've been working, when they start to get broke out and steadied up, 
and they have a find, the next cast into the country is going to be even bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. And they're going to become more efficient and they're going to become more bold and more focused. Okay. Mm. That's a difference. I'm not trying to rope them in at that point. They already know to handle for me. So they're already hooked up to me when they're doing that move. Um, but yeah. What is that? Is that just, is that, that's breeding, yeah, right? That's breeding. That's, those are that's the breeding, that's breeding okay. and that's breeding a certain type of dog. Um, okay. and so that's a dog that I, I personally like, I don't like the dogs that I constantly have to hack on and be on all the time. That just gets old over a while. Um, I've got a couple of them out there. Um, my, the one I've, kind of jokingly called her uh no surrender would be her should be her paper name <laughs> but i mean there's things like i mean it's not fun when you have to get her attention and mm. um and it might last two or three weeks at most mm. and then next thing you know and, and when when i'm in texas on the on the truck she has to have a bark collar on it all the time because oh, really yeah because if there's <laughs> if you're running another dog and you shoot on a cubby she knows she's losing she, her mind. She's losing it. And and she is losing her mind. So when she hits the ground, she's, um, she's trying to take on too much and she's, her, her mind's not in the right space. Exactly. It's not, space. it's not tunnel vision and focused. It's not calm, collected mm-hmm. and focused. And she's so much dog. Um, yeah, she's just, she's too much for her own good in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you keep her under control, then um she's wonderful and, and she's the type of dog yeah. that on any given day because my my string is quite a bit bigger now um than it was four years ago um now i run eight very capable bird dogs uh, on that truck and so you know if a dog goes through and they have five cubbies in one day that's a really big day for them because they might have only gotten on mm-hmm. the ground five times in that day and um and so that's the way I look at it. Like for her, if I can manage her and get her to that point. And that, that's also knowing that dog, um, another dog, you never put a bark collar on, you never say boo to him, but she would lose her mind and be completely out of control. And you wouldn't be able to run her in front of a client. Hmm. So she'd be too much. She might run off, which she has done several times. So, (laughs) um, yeah, yeah. It's not, yeah. Bev is, uh, above and beyond what, what, any person needs out there um yeah yeah well well, okay so this will this will kind of lead into a little little bit of breeding now you know what is you know when you're breeding dogs we've tiptoed around this a little bit like what are some of the things that you're looking for in in uh in in your breeding philosophy really um when you're breeding dogs like like for her yeah you know she sounds like she's a very uh, amped up dog yeah a lot of dogs yeah she's a lot Is, is, is she is she someone that you know obviously do her characteristics outweigh her, her flaws? Yeah. Would you breed to her yeah, she, and, and talk a little bit more about that? When you get, when you watch her around birds, I mean, it's, um, there's no messing around. Um, there, there's mm-hmm. no, she, it's funny for as amped up as she is when she gets around birds, um, there's no playing. And, um, mm-hmm. that, that's the one really nice characteristic. It, it's like every hair on her back is standing up, but she's, she'll stand there for 15 minutes if she needs to. Hmm. Um, there, then I've got a dog named ACE and I'll just kind of go through the lineup a little bit, um, and explain this, but I've got ACE 
an ace is very aggressive, but he's out of a uh, true confidence, which he has the uh, and true confidence is a dog that you'll hear a lot out of our stock um, here. But uh, ace has this tremendous composure around birds and he's also really aggressive going to them and he's aggressive in the country. Hmm. Um, it's a really nice balance to have. And, uh, I've never bred him. I've collected him. Um, but I've never bred him yet. And there's some things that I would have to breed around and I'll, I'll kind of go into that. Um, I've got dogs like, uh, Penny, which Penny's probably, Penny was the best dog on my string, uh, two seasons ago, um, she pointed her first year on the string at two years old. She had over a hundred, uh, I think it was 104 or 105 cubby finds. Um, and we wow. had, we had a really good string that year of dogs and just really consistent dog. Um, if it was 90 degrees that year, she would still find cubbies. And, that, <laughs> um, so, um, and she's big. She's about 52 pounds. She's a, a good, okay. uh, strong dog. We've produced two litters with her. Um, both have been really nice litters. Um, okay. and, um, and she's tremendously easy around birds. So that character around mm-hmm. birds, um, is really fun to watch with her. Um, mm. so easy yeah. meaning, not, maybe not as intense as the other ones. You don't, you don't have to just... manage her. You don't have to manage her. You don't okay. have to like when she sets up around birds, you just take your time. They're going to be right in front of her. There's okay. no, well, she's not wanting to take a step. She's not wanting to knock. She's not wanting to do any. A lot of these dogs are like that. Um, and her dad is one of my favorite dogs and that's bud. Um, he's one of my f- mm-hmm. most enjoyable to run. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he's just, he's a really nice animal. Um, he was really nice as a puppy. Um, <laughs> kind of to give you an idea, um, he, at uh, was Thanksgiving. We were, I was running him. I was just hunting him with an older dog and Bud had four cubby finds in 20 minutes on hunts. Um, mm-hmm. and let, let me get in front of him, um, three of the four times. And, uh, he broke a bone in his foot that night in the lava rock and, and he was, he was uh, very aggressive to the country. Like it didn't matter Mm. if you were in lava rock or what you were in. He was very aggressive. He was happily aggressive would be the term, not, not to the point of losing his head. He was very happily aggressive, maintained composure all the way through. Um, I put him in a kennel run for six weeks and I brought him out and, and, and I mean six weeks, he did not come out of the kennel. He was in a five by 10 run for six weeks to get healed. When I brought him out, the first workout on the ground was 25 minutes. He pointed five cubbies in 25 minutes and let me flush. <laughs> and he let me flush every cubby. Wow. He had not seen it. He, he was still pretty, pretty young at that point. He was eight, eight and a half old months old, eight and a half months. Oh Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. And he had not been worked. Uh, that's the thing that people, so what I'm looking for with this breeding is dogs that are not reverting. I don't have to work the same mm-hmm. concept 20 uh, times okay. over for you to get this. That's a dog that should never be bred in my opinion ever, mm-hmm. because if you can't pick it up within so much and then refine it and make it your own, we'll find a dog that will. Mm-hmm. It, it just, we've got plenty of them that will, if I want more physicality, well, there's plenty of dogs to get more physicality out there. You know, there, sure. there are. Um, but if I want 
a lot of intelligence that I'm, um, I'm looking for certain character and that character goes very far and it passes down, it passed down with Penny and then it passed down in another litter. Um, and I'm not, and that's not saying that he dominated it because those two females were very, very good in their own right. Um, and sure. so I can only hope that he compliments what they are. Um, I mm. cannot expect him to dominate the genes. I just don't. Um, but yeah, he, he's a really nice animal. Um, and it's not saying he's the best. I'll never say that about any of my dogs, but I, I enjoy running him the most. So, mm. um, yeah, that's, okay. um, yeah. So, so, so yeah. So, so when you're, when you're breeding, are you, I, you said like a lot of people will breed like a hot dog to a hot dog. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for, let's say you have a, a, a awesome male yeah. in all areas yeah. and then a female, are you looking for a female that's very different to that male to, to get some to, to, based on what you're trying to breed for? Or are you like, Hey, I want a strong male to a strong female. Yeah, it is what it is. Well, We're going to get great, great dogs. I, I want strong females. Um, in the next few years, when people come into the kennel and see the females, they're going to notice that every one of them is 48 pounds and above. I don't want okay. small females. Um, and actually Bob Whaley, which a lot of people know, um, because of Elhu, his, uh, brood sure. females were typically, um, all over 50 pounds. Okay. Is, is that typical for pointers? People are, are is it trending well, smaller yeah, right now? Or? Yeah. Especially in the Nastra world. And, um, okay. because they throw a lot of animation, they're smaller, smaller boned people are like, well, you know, they, they do the same thing a big dog does. Um, you know, they just don't take as much. Um, I'm not going to knock that. It's just not the dog for me. When you take that little dog, okay. that 35 pound dog into Texas, they might do just fine. They might, I'm not saying that they won't, but it's, it's like saying that, uh, a 70 pound pointer is going to go through the grouse woods at the same agility that a 40 mm. to 50 pound pointer would, right. Or a 50, 40 okay. to 50 pound dog. They may not, but when a lot of these guys are not looking at the real gate mechanics of these dogs. And that's mm. one of the things that we need to look at a little bit more is, um, the fluidity in their gate and how their mechanics are. Because some of the fastest dogs that I've seen on the ground did not have sheer foot speed, but they were really smooth in their gait and they, they stroked in their gait. So their breathing rhythm matched with their gait cycle. Mm. So if you think about that, right? So if I'm running and think about if I'm, if I'm trying to run a four minute mile, right? That's 60 seconds per 400. Okay. Or, or quarter mile at 60 seconds. Right. So if I'm trying to run that and if I go out in 55 seconds, my, everything's spiked, I'm flooding my system of lactic acid. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm basically depleting my oxygen stores really quick. I'm flooding my body. My breathing is also out of rhythm. Mm. Okay. Because now I'm amplified and we all see these dogs and they're bug eyed and they're amplified and their breathing's like, I want, I don't want that. I want the dog that is almost lazy looking or really collected Mm. and they, they get amplified when they go to work and they have great enthusiasm when they go to work. But when they're in their stride mechanics, they may not look fast, but they're constantly in a hunt gate and they're constantly smooth and their Mm. breathing is in rhythm. 
I do not want those like the boxy built snappy dogs. They're not for me. That's, that's a whole different dog than I want to run. I want to run one that kind of runs more like a thoroughbred. Even if I lose, um, style, I'm okay Okay. with that. Um, the other thing that we're seeing a lot in the pointer, we're seeing a lot of post-legged dogs, meaning their hind legs are Mm -hmm. really straight. They do not work. They're uh, straight, meaning like from the, from from the the hip hip to the foot. It doesn't have that like it doesn't have the curve yep exactly okay and uh and that will throw more animation but you'll also tear more ccls Ah, and so now you take that dog that doesn't have full range of motion and full extension and say that they're going through high grass and all of a sudden they hit a hole Hmm. now and and you don't see it once and then you don't see it for 10 or 15 times and then all of a sudden you know they're three years old and you've got to get a, a CCL repair. Well, it might okay. work, but then you're going to have to repair the other one because the other one's going to blow out. So sure. back in the day, the guys that wanted to get around that, what they would do is they would um, breed cowhawk dogs. So they, their hips were cocked a little bit. And um, it's like uh, if, if a runner um, ran with their foot a little pivoted out. So they, um, they bred huh. those dogs a little cowhawked because they had a little bit more range of motion. They had less, they were really? less apt to tearing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh so, gosh. um, it, it's, uh, but now we're getting, because animation, the aesthetic of a bird dog, because of these, these courses. And, and like I said, I'm going to always preface this. I'm not putting them down, but sure. these throwdown trial courses, the aesthetic of that dog in motion is so important to winning. And how they look pointed is so important. That look is so important that that snap in their gait, that animation is caused a lot from being a little bow legged or real post legged. Mm. But if you're looking at uh, and people would, bre- people would breed towards that a little bit, oh, right? Yeah. Because it's yeah. such an emphasis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And why, and why not? If you're, if your emphasis is to win field trials, then that's what you're doing. Sure. So, um, you know, and that makes sense. But if we get a whole pool of dogs that are all real straight legged and things, we're going to start having issues and we already are. Um, and so we're, we're getting weaker back dogs. We're getting smaller rear ends on them and we're getting shoulders that are a foot and a half wide and the rear ends about, you know, 10 inches wide or vice versa. You know, it's like, so it, it just, there's, we're not always looking at symmetry and we're not always and, and confirmation truly. And I will say this confirmation, the conformity of a dog starts between the ears because similar to a human, mm. we might not have the best confirmation as a human athlete, but we can manipulate ourselves because our mind is really strong. We can manipulate and know our strengths and know our weaknesses. Um, I would say this Rue is really old school bred. Um, he's probably one of the oldest L, true L. Hugh bred dogs in the, in the country, still living. Um, he goes to L. Hugh Strike, I think, 15 times. Well, he looks like L. Hugh Strike. He's got the old houndy look. He's got the sickle tail. Um, he goes back to Redwater Rex, I think, four times uh, within okay. uh, four or five generations. He's got that old school structure to him. Well, that dog never had anything significantly happen to him until he was 10 years old. 
Hmm. So, wow. he, but in order for, he couldn't compete in today's world. And I'm just going to say it unless he was in a, look, look wise. Exactly. Okay. Look okay. wise. He, in, in, he, in a trial setting. Yes. He could not compete with those dogs, but if you breed him right in a few generations, you might be able to change things ever so slightly and keep the mind of the dog mm. and keep the, keep the intelligence there. Yeah. yeah. So that's wow. kind of what I've used him for. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not right. saying it's uh, the end all be all, but it's, it's what I'm personally sure. doing. Um, but yeah. I, I guess if it kind of the round back, I don't ever want to put a, I, I think going to the net, the shooting dog national or any national championship for anybody is really, really important. That follows the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. shooting dog national is incredible. You've got 80 dogs that are in it. You know, it's a different qualifying sure. standard, the 80 dogs you could watch performances on for, for 90 minutes. And, um, <laughs> but I guess my thing is a lot of the dogs that run at Ames, you probably don't get to see their full showing unless you watch those dogs up on the prairie. And a okay. lot of them are really incredible. They're incredible athletes. They're watching. That's like watching the thoroughbred and the shooting dog might be like watching a, a really good quarter horse. Right. Okay. And so you're watching these thoroughbreds, but when that venue, you may not really get to see their whole abilities, if that makes sense. Mm. So yeah, yeah, the, absolutely. the venue might dictate a little differently. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Oh, Ryan, um, I'm going to okay. ask two more questions here for, yeah. uh, before we kind of wrap this thing up, we're going to skip some of the training stuff, yeah. um, and, and maybe get you back on another time yeah. to uh, unpack that a little bit more, but, yeah. um, two more things that I kind of want to ask you about. Um, so in, in, in talking, uh, again, about some of these dogs characteristics and, and what you're looking for in them. Yeah. Um, I would like to ask someone, especially someone with with some of your experience and knowledge that you've been around bird dogs now. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're picking a puppy out, yeah. Say you you say you raise a litter, you know the genes are good, mm-hmm. genetics are all great. Like, but what are you looking for? Say you can pick a, a puppy to keep from that litter. What are some of the things that you're looking for in a in a very young eight to twelve week old pup when you're when you're picking one out to say, hey, I'm going to keep that dog. Yeah. What are some of the things you're looking for? So, um, every year I do buy puppies outside of my stock. Um, I have to, I need to stay up on stuff and there's things I'm curious of. So a lot of times, um, I've picked, they've, they've all been females. Um, a lot of times I've picked the biggest, I, I watch their personalities, but I pick the biggest boned female that I can. Um, mm. so I'm looking for body and bone in consistency, um, throughout the body and throughout the bone. And, and th- this is, that's the confirmational side. I'm not looking for them to be wide elbowed or something like that. Um, but I'm, I'm looking for consistency. Um, and from the tip of the tail to the feet, um, into their head and structure. Um, the next thing that I'm looking for is, um, you know, what are they, what are they size wise compared to the rest of the litter? Uh, because like I said, you start breeding small dogs to small dogs, you're going to continue continually dwindle it. So it's going to shorten up gradually. Um, and then I'm, I'm looking for their personality and I'm looking how they move. So there's a lot that you can tell at that age, but there's also, if I'm going to that litter, I've already done my research on the, why I'm going to that litter. So, um, that side when people are like, well, you look at the personality and this and that, 
well, you're already going to that litter for a darn reason, you know? Sure. Um, so when I, I, I have gotten multiple pups out of Miller's unfinished business and I've loved the personality out of both of them. And, and I would say for people, if they wanted pups out of unfinished business, you should get some cause they hunt and they're really nice animals to be around. Um, but that's what I'm looking for is movement and how they move with their mind. And that's, okay. and then when they're say, if they're a little bit older, are they relaxed in their movement? So think about, it goes back to how you move if, as a runner or as an athlete, are you amped up and then you just stop and look for a direction or are you relaxed in your running and breathing in your gait? And that mm-hmm. goes a long way with the mind being able to cope with everything else that's going on when they're on the ground. So how they're sure. moving, how they're acting. Um, I mean, if we go all the way back to watching like secretariat and the, everybody's watched the film for the most part about him, but you watch how he used to move in his gait and, and people say, well, he had an enlarged heart. He had enlarged lungs. Well, yeah, but you still got to be able to use those. <laughs> sure. So you, you might have all this potential, but you still got to learn how to tap into it. So do they have a mind? And, I, and that's what I'm, I'm watching how they move and how they use their mind within that. Hmm. So, that's great. Um, yeah. That's great, man. I need another pause. All right. I'm, um, I'm sorry. Dude, no, me too. I have to, I have to pee okay. so bad. Okay. Do I'll, it. I'll meet do you it. back here in a second. Okay. All right. Um, well, that's awesome, Ryan. Can you, uh, can you unpack again? Something you and I have, uh, kind of chatted about over the years is, uh, roading dogs. And I've loved your, um, this kind of intentionality behind roading. Um, uh, you've, you've seen some of my stuff with, yeah. you know, biking yeah. gauge and that, uh, we've chatted here and there. So can you can unpack, um, again, what's your roading process? Some of the things you've learned along the way. Yeah. Over um, the years. So I guess, um, I started off using a four wheeler and just like, you know, two bars, like a main one. And, I used to rode Jim Schultz's dogs for him and when I was living in Flagstaff. And then um, when I worked for George, I was roading from a horse and we would couple four of them side by side in harnesses. Uh, it's kind of similar to being on your bike. Um, and they was right in front of a horse and you just keep that horse in a walk while the dogs pulled out in front the whole time. Um, and then when I moved home after that, I didn't have much for finances. So um, I didn't have a four wheeler. But what I would do is I got one of those bike tow leashes that you can get on Amazon and I would put two dogs couple and I didn't have a lot of dogs. So I just would couple them alongside the bike and they would pull the bike and I would just feather the brake the whole time. Um, but that, what I will bring up on that, um, the style that you do is better because you're actually uh, reiterating their pattern. You notice that like when you have your dog out in front, you're reiterating you're in front sure. of me. This is a, fr- it's the same thing as a horse sure. yeah, you're yeah. reiterating. This is where you belong sure. is in front of me. And, um, yeah, not on the side of me, not behind yeah, me. Yeah, right in front. And yeah. They do. I mean, there are natural front running dogs that, um, make it look amazing. And that is one of the things that just enhances it. Um, and so, hmm. um, now what I have is I've just got a Honda rancher, I've got, I, I had those spider arms. I, so I'm going to kind of back up. I mean, I had spider arms. I've had other things with them. I've had straight bars and whatnot, but what I've got now, um, 
I don't know what they're really called, but it's like a stationary spider arm. We'll just call it that. And it sits in a hitch in the front of the four wheeler. Okay. And, sp and sp spider arm. Yeah. Just so people can kind of understand what we're talking about out in yep. front of the four wheeler, yep. right? It yep. goes into a hitch and then there's multiple, wait, what, six? Yeah. Mine maybe? was stiff, stiff arms that kind of have a little bit of an arch yes, to them. Yes. And I can't remember. Did I have, I had either four or six. I can't remember what I had. Um, and then I, I think I had four and then I had, um, like the regular stationary bars, one on the front rack and one on the rear. And then okay. I've got, um, two, um, I have a platform on the rear rack with two Ruffland kennels on the back of that. So in case anything goes on with a dog and okay. I had to pick them up and then I also can, um, I've got, you know, jug of water back there. Um, sure. so the way I've, uh, transformed in this, I do not do anything that gives on the harness anymore. Okay. So any bungees, okay. I've, so, so, no, so bungees. No, no bungee, no bungees, no, no flex. It's all gone. Okay. What I want, and, and actually the only flex that I have is now in a lot of the, uh, attachments to the rig, they are actually like, um, like a rope, like a thing of like climbers rope with two snaps on them. And what, okay. And, and I also run all, um, breast collars or, or breast strapped, um, systems. Okay. The re and I start some of them off in a howling dog, Alaska harness, but then I transition them to a breast harness. The reason being for this. Um, so I'll go to the harness first. The reason being for the harness, the muscle memory can make it to where the dog lunges with their head low. That creates muscle memory when you do it enough to drop the head and drop the nose. You're running a bird dog scent mm. lost in the air. You want that dog running with a higher or more level head. They do not need to drop that nose. Okay. So I don't want the muscle memory getting to where they heave themselves forward and use incorrect muscles. I basically just want them power walking like a plow horse head up, just driving. I am not asking them to be a sled dog. I am asking them to just get a low intensity, higher aerobic workout. It'd be like me. If I'm a four minute okay. miler, it's me going out for a seven minute, easy run, seven minutes, a mile, easy run. It's, you know, it's, um, it might be highly aerobic, but I'm not going anaerobic. I'm not going over the top. Right. So it's within this realm that, sure. and then I might run seven minute pace up a mountain. Okay. Up a hill an incline consistent. Sure. So that would be the, that would be the comparison. Um, I am not roading anything faster than eight miles an hour. I'm not trying to do speed. Okay. Speed is more apt for injuries. And so, um, and then down here, it's all sandy roads. So it's easy on their feet. I don't like pavement. Um, I want them on either gravel or dirt roads. If I'm um, not down here, um, that gravel and that dirt road, I think is the, the way to go. Um, so if you can get on like a cinder trail, Oh, yep. I don't go any so past jump eight, mile, eight miles an hour. What, it, what I'm trying to have is a high aerobic, but low impact. So think of it as hmm. like, if you were just running an easy run, but instead of being on a flat surface, you were at, you know, like a 5% grade, right? You would build a lot of strength and a lot of endurance. I'm not looking for speed. Um, I'm looking for strength long-term. And then also I don't, it, this is a dog that is enthusiastic. It's not, their thinking isn't like a human. 
right? So you have to um, think ahead of them. So when I get those really amped up dogs in the harnesses, um, I actually want to get them worn down to where they don't think so quickly. They're not racing in their mind. I want them to be really, um, mm. um, really controlled about it. And so, um, because they can get hurt in these harnesses. So the low, the low impact, the low impact kind of low and slow yeah. method is kind That's of it. take, uh, kind of de, uh, de-amping yeah, them a little yeah, bit. Exactly. No, they, no, they okay. love it. They pull the whole time. I want them pulling, but I want them in a sure. power walk pulling, you know, they might run a little bit and then they go back yeah. into a power walk. All I'm looking to do is strengthen the posterior chain of the dog. If you think about a human athlete, mm. we're more efficient when we have a really strong posterior chain. That's um, the efficiency mm. in our stride is what we're looking for. So if we have a, a strong mm. back and uh, strong glutes, strong upper hamstrings, and we propel ourselves really well, um, you know, essentially that's your backside of your core. It's the same thing I'm looking for with a dog. Sure. And so, um, that's not, I'm, they're not sled dogs, you know, they've got a different purpose. And so, um, the running style is what I'm trying to have that harness position on them to keep them upright so that they keep, you know, sure. yeah, if that makes sense. So no, so, so here, yeah, no, it, it totally does. Here's a question for mm-hmm. you. So why would then, so why would someone not just let their dogs free yeah. run versus okay. do a roading workout. Is there, if you have the space and, and, and land to let your dog free run, would you just recommend doing that? Or is there such a benefit to doing some roading? There, like there's you're a benefit about? to the mental aspect of roading. Okay. And I found this, um, when dogs were just free run without birds, what do they get used to doing when you go to hunt? They get to run without birds. Mm. They get to doing that. So, so some of the harnesses, uh, it, they're, they're a lot different depending on it. So you think about like the old plow horses, how they had like a breast harness that came across and the horse basically powered out of their back and their, their rear end and their head was up the whole time. Um, that that's essentially, you want this dog, like you don't need them to go fast in this. All you're trying to do is stimulate them while keeping them in breathing rhythm and producing like kind of producing some muscle. Um, sure. it's really easy for a dog to lose muscle. Um, assert, especially if they're getting worked really hard later in the season, they can lose a lot depending on their genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that is genetic. Um, so, you know, when they do get to some of the, uh, either field trials or if you're hunting them for an extended period of time, um, you know, if they haven't been worked to be able to, metabolize for that long and you're not you're not feeding them you know the way that you need to um genetics can play a big role in it and hypoglycemia and different things like that so what i've noticed is the dogs that were consistently roded um had less issues with hypoglycemia um and consistently ate better because of just even a low level workload on a consistent basis you know not just sitting other than being pulled out to work um, and I've just mental and physical sides have been overall better, but, um, the free running side of it is, I think what we we're kind of discussing, um, the free running side is fine, but the problem is if you're free running them a lot, 
And what happens is they get used to hitting the ground without focus. And Hmm. so if you have a task, you know, if you, if your dog is like on a lead and you're walking around, um, and they were used to that, well, they know that the scenario is, well, I'm not hunting right here. My mind is off that subject. But when I transition to the field, you know, what I'm saying is the free running kind of blends things too much. And that for me, um, you know, and I know that they can come out of it and people say this and that, but they can also form a lot of bad habits by just free running. And if I, so for me personally, it doesn't work as well. That's just all I can yeah. say. And, and, and it sounds like you've, it sounds like you've seen a, yeah, it sounds like you've seen a, a benefit from yeah. doing a, a controlled workout uh, on a roading harness. Yeah. Um, with, with your roading, how, how, t- again, typically, again, might, this might vary, mm-hmm. but how long are you going? Is, are you yeah. going for distance? Are you going for kind of a short, like, Hey, we're going to knock this out in 20, 30 minutes. So I start up and I build up. Um, so if I say that I started at, like in June, right. Um, for the first few weeks, I might only be going 20 to 30 minutes. I'm not looking for, I'm not looking, you know, we're not trying to hit a home run. It's like strength training for a distance runner. So strength training is just to add to refinement of what the person naturally does. Um, I'm not trying to take away from what they, their natural ability is. So Hmm. if I can just garner a little bit more, um, then it helps them. The problem is some of these dogs are, and I mentioned it before, they're so dang physical. And I'm not just mm-hmm. saying what you look at, but they're so physical. I mean, some of these pointers have been taken up, um, uh, you know, and used in a breeding programs for sled dogs and things. But, and I would even say this, I've actually seen some um, setters that were as much or more physical than pointers. And... Mm-hmm good lord i mean they're just monsters in a damn harness i mean they are they're there's and and the setter in particular that or setters in particular i've seen i'm just like you're blown away with this animal and then you look and you see what parents they came out of and I, i've never i can't wrap my head around it i've sometimes seen them oh some wild thunder um i've sometimes seen it where you know they come out of a really small female like a 35 pound female and you know, an average size male. And then you get a 60 pound setter and I'm like, wow. And then they know what to do with it. Like, it's pretty amazing. So I I guess with a lot of this stuff, you're trying to just refine what is naturally there and bring out a little bit more, um, ability. And so roading is not the end all be all, but if you're in a scenario where you need to, to get a mental release, because that's what it is. It's a mental release um, and a mental focus at the same time. Like they get to release, but then they get to focus on a task of the, that they can accomplish. Um, those things are really imperative for a dog to just feel um, like they've got good quality of life. Um, it's not everything, but it's better than not doing anything. And free running is just for me, it's really hard to do. So. Well, that's awesome. Well, Ryan, um, kind of last thing I like to uh, kind of end with with each guest here. Um, you know, what what piece of advice would you give uh, a new hunter out there? Uh, you know, someone who's just maybe getting into bird hunting, bird dogs. Uh, you know, what's what's something that you would uh, you would tell them? Um, I guess whatever attracts you, whatever style of dog or whatever you know 
uh, style of hunting attracts you. Um, seek out the people that have similar personalities to you um, and that are in the sport already and kind of find that mentorship and then go from there. Um, the tendency is we get on the internet and we see someone that's really good at marketing and then they, um, they tell us what we want to hear because they're essentially selling a product. Um, but I guess when you kind of get over that, you start realizing that there's certain people that you really drive with and um, that you'll learn a lot from because you're open to them and they're open to you. And I guess when you find those people, really try to learn the most as much as you can mm. and enjoy it because uh, it's just like anything, you're, you'll be uh, going with the grain instead of against it. Mm. And um, so That's I, really I, don't know, good. I, I just, I think overall, um, you know, regardless of me being critical about things as you've heard the last two hours, um, I really, really enjoy dog work. Yeah. I enjoy watching athletes. And so the people that I hang around are also like that. Hmm. Um, but I also enjoy watching people hunt and I watch I enjoy watching them get enthusiastic about their stuff. So, um, I sound like a curmudgeon half the time about it, but it's like, that's the joy that they get out of it. And, you know, I'm really quite happy for them for that because they need it in their life too. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, but mm. find, find what makes you joyful when you're doing it. Sure. You know, I love that, man. I love, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you definitely bleed the the love for the dogs and dog work, and um, it's, it's it's been fun uh, been fun hearing more about that uh, through your story and some of your experiences. So it's been Thank fun, you. man. Been fun. So yeah. last thing we'll uh, we'll wrap up here with is uh, kind of a rapid fire question. So yeah. uh, I'm just going to ask you a few questions here. Just give me your uh, your off the cuff answer, and uh, we'll bring this thing home. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, for you, what came first, the dog, the gun, or the bird? What, uh, what's your guess? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty darn confident in the dog, but you tell us. You got it. Yeah, the dog. I had, um, I had a feeling. And the gun comes last. Okay. Um, yeah, the gun comes last for me. Um, the dog and the relationship of dog and the bird mm. are so fun to watch for me, mm. and it's so important. Mm. So, are, are you one of those guys that'll you know just run your dogs and leave the shotgun in the, in the truck sometimes? Yeah, um, I even during the hunting season, if I'm up north working dogs, um, I actually had a sling made for um, the side by side. Okay, no, so nice. I sling it over my back <laughs> and I, I have a, a blank pistol on my hip. That's how I work dogs oh, um, awesome. during the hunting season. So if a young dog needs to have a bird killed for them, which they all do, sure. um, then I can step in when they're doing things right and I can kill them a bird. Um, and then I can go back to the blank pistol. There you go. That's awesome, so, man. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. So when you are hunting, when, when your, your goal is to say, hey, I, I'm going to kill a bird, uh, what gun yeah. are you carrying into the field and why? I carry the Mossberg of Europe. Um, I carry a CZ Bob White 28 gauge side by side. Okay. Um, and I, I dub them the I, I dub their brand the Mossberg of Europe. They're just for me. Yeah. I can you know fall on them. I can do this or that. You know, I don't feel so bad about dinging them up. Sure. Um, they're 
to me, they're a nice enough gun for a really good working working gun. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I'm not too fancy. Yeah, um, it, 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 gets, it gets the job done and it's going to uh, stand yeah. some abuse. So I think that's uh, mm-hmm. sounds perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. For you, what is your favorite breed of dog besides the ones you ever owned? Okay. Is this any breed? Uh, yeah, sporting okay, dog. Well, would, sporting dog would be ideal. Okay. All right. Well, um, since I own a cocker now, she's out of the picture. But um, oh, you got, you went you picked up a cocker? Yeah, yeah. I've had her for over a year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, she's she's really fun. Um, but um, okay. I would say a Walker Coonhound, like a really good okay. Walker Coonhound. But I'm gonna throw these in there because people think I hate on um, <laughs> a lot of other breeds. I really enjoy wire hairs. Wire hairs, okay. Yeah, I, I've worked a number of them. I've really, really enjoyed them. Okay. Um, and then, I, so I'm gonna. <laughs> you're not gonna like. I'm gonna throw them three uh, <laughs> wire hairs. Um, and then there are some setters that I really, really enjoyed. Okay. Um, and they were. They're just phenomenal animals, um, and people are gonna twist their nose up at that because <laughs> they hear me all the time. But um, tremendous animals. But then uh, a couple Britneys that I've worked up really like too. Between French Britney and American, okay. um, I just enjoyed those those breeds. Uh, I, most of them I can find enjoyment in. It's more the individual, but um, the wire hairs for some reason in the last few years. Have yeah. Been, it- really cool to work because that, that those i mean just off the cuff those seem very very different than a pointer would be so is it, is it just they the are. this yeah, yeah what, what is it about them that piques your interest they're a killer okay they're a flat out killer that's what they've been bred for that's what they've been designed for um you know a britney is more of a finesse dog a britney and a lot of these pointers are because i i worked a little bit um with nolan huffman mm-hmm. and his Britneys are more like my pointers as far as personality. Mm. They just are. And I've been, I enjoy that side of them. Um, I mean, there are some setters I got to see this year that I just really enjoyed who they were. Mm. Um, and then it's just like a setter is just in a lot of ways, uh, mentality wise, like a pointer for me. Sure. Um, if they're, if they're goofy and crazy, I just don't, it's not my, my cup of tea. Right. Right. Um, but if they're really relaxed and focused and then do a heck of a job, oh man, hats off to them. But that's the type of dog I, you know, it's a yeah, focus that I like. That's on. awesome, and man. It, and, it, and it's the performance that I really enjoy. Sure. Um, that's probably what I'm drawn to. So when I know that a wire hair is a killer, like, that's cool to me. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, that is so cool to me, you yeah. know, because they're just like, they're a monster. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so that's sorry, awesome. I, 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 there's a lot of them out there. Though. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm new. Yeah. That's a very, very hard question for some people. So <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Um, all right, a couple more here. Uh, favorite bird to hunt and why? Um, and you can only give me one. Huns. <laughs> huns. Yeah. Okay. Huns. Um, and the impact that it makes on a young dog's mind is one of the greatest um, that I've seen. So. Mm. Every time a dog has a contact with birds, if it's a single bird that gets up, it doesn't typically make as large of an impact mm. unless the dog's like really engaged in the situation. But Huns 
can draw that attention and draw that focus in and they're screeching and squawking at an explosion as one unit off the ground, it just, it makes this awesome impact. And they're territorial, they're cocky, they're just funny, <laughs> funny birds. That's and awesome. um, and they're beautiful, they're just yeah. beautiful. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just, I really like them a lot. Okay, okay, that's awesome. So. All right, uh, two more here. Your go-to snack on a hunting trip. Okay, so I was thinking about this before. I was talking to my mom before this, and I was like, "She goes, well, do you eat anything?'" I said, "Yeah, I started eating um, like almonds, like those flavored almonds." Oh yeah, yeah. Like we're talking those like honey mustard. Talking like honey mustard. Well, uh, what, I don't I mean, know just, the name of the brand. They have like salt and vinegar and okay. flavors like that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, they're like a little handheld tube kind of thing. <laughs> oh and, yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah, um, like grab and go snacks, sure. and then uh, pistachios. Oh, um, good like, old pistachio. Yeah. So those, when I f- first moved west, I never ate or drank anything. If I was on the ground with dogs for three or four hours in a row, yeah. like continuous, yeah. the only water I carried was for the dog. <laughs> and so, and, and a lot of times I was, I was going up over the hills in Hell's Canyon and I was putting in three to four miles an hour oh, of hiking. And so like, it was, you know, for me, I'm like, Oh, this is comparable to what I used to do training wise. So sure. it's not that hard. Um, until you make yourself black out, oh, gosh. then, then it, then it's like, Oh, okay. I need, I need, I need something. Be, yeah. I don't need to be this, yeah. you know what I'm doing. So I've altered that a bit. Oh, but, sure. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know why, but nuts. I don't. Yeah, are those are good. That's a, it's a good little snack. Yeah, got, got some yeah. good protein for you, yep. and that's a that's a good choice. Um, last yep. one, beverage of choice after a hunt. Okay, so <laughs> my mom said Yingling, um, but we don't really get that out west. Um, so, and I, and I don't drink beer that much, um, but I would go with two: either like a Corona with salt and lime. Okay. Or just a fountain coke over ice fountain coke over ice classic yeah something like that yeah Yeah, just something really kid-like and basic yeah (laughs) there you go i was gonna say you're getting a little fancy with the uh salt and lime but you know the 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 traditional coke over ice i'll I'll take it (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i'm I'm not i'm not too difficult with that stuff yeah pretty Um, pretty simple if, if i get out and i'm you know, been training in Hell's Canyon for a long day. Um, like any soda, <laughs> just, something. <laughs> just something, just yeah. something bubbly yeah. and 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 good. So, well, Ryan, yeah. this yeah, exactly. uh, this has been so much fun, man. Thank you so much for uh, for carving out some time and just sharing yeah. uh, sharing your journey with us and just unpacking some. Uh, some fun topics i think that's you know I've, I've loved kind of picking your brain over the years and so just thanks for uh for taking the time to, to do that hopefully i don't offend anybody that's <laughs> never my intent i just uh you know i have a lot to learn myself so absolutely um, but i agree i agree i really appreciate you having me on absolutely so ryan well thank you so much again okay. this has been a blast and uh we'll, t- we'll talk to you soon okay sounds good bye-bye Well, that's a wrap of episode 83 in our part two conversation with Ryan Mulcahy from Born to Run Kennels. Um, Ryan, again, thanks so much, man, um, just for taking some time and unpacking, um, again, your your thoughts and experiences around bird dogs, um, even pushing uh, pushing the envelope on, you know, training bird dogs on 
wild birds. I think that's a concept um, that's just maybe a little foreign to some. Um, yeah, maybe a lot due to access and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, I love your approach. I love your mindset around uh, developing bird dogs, man. So thanks again for taking the time uh, to unpack that here on the show. Hey guys, if you have not already, go over and leave a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It would greatly help the show get out there to more hunters, more bird dog lovers just like you, and to help get this show out there. Um, other than that, stay tuned. We've got a couple, uh, couple cool guests here coming up uh, in the next few weeks. And uh, head over to patreon.com slash the Upland Rookie Podcast. Get signed up for the next giveaway with Gunner Kennels and giving away a fan kit 2.0. Keep your dogs cool uh, all training season, trial season, heading into the summer. So uh, it's going to be important. Keep them cool in their crate. So anyways, until next time, go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Take care.